Book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy and, and Titus are considered to be pastoral books. They're considered to be books that Paul was writing to uh, young ministers. But as we read them as Christians, we understand that the entire Bible is, is to us, is written to us, not necessarily to a, a specific group of people. And, and I love where, I don't remember who exactly it was that, that said it was one of the, I think it was Tozer. Uh, don't make me say his first name. He said that if we read the Bible as it was written to those individuals and not to us, then we read the Bible wrong. And that made good sense to me because as we read, especially Timothy chapter 4, we understand that, that it's not just the duty of, of the ministers to accept the charge of Christ, but it's the duty of everyone. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is, is where we're going to read. Is, he, he's writing here to Timothy even several hundred years ago. But he's writing it to us and it is, it is as relevant to us today as it was to Timothy back then. So we're going to begin in verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. The Bible says that this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to come and to gather in your house tonight. God, you know what we stand in need of. Lord, you know what we need and we ask you that, that you would help us tonight as we would read your word. God, if we could do so with open hearts. God, knowing that we fail you, even today in so many ways, we ask your forgiveness. And Lord, help us that in these last times that we could be aware of these perilous times in which we live. Lord, above all, continue to have mercy on those who are lost. Forgive us for we fail you again. In Jesus' name we ask it all. Amen. We're going to end up reading this entire chapter. But Paul sets the stage here and he says that this, know also, in addition to all this other stuff, because it's the second letter that he's written, it's the third chapter in this letter he's written. He said, this know also. He said, you need to know all of this other stuff and, and you need to take in all of this other stuff. But he said, you also need to know that in the last days, perilous times shall come. You don't see that word in the New Testament very often. You see it less than a dozen times, as a matter of fact. And that is a very weird word for him to use. What does the word perilous mean? Dangerous. So why didn't he say dangerous? In the last days, bad times shall come. If I tell you that if you go down the other end of Luke Pace Road, that it will be a perilous journey. And then if I tell you if you go down the other end of, of Luke Pace Road, it's going to be a bad journey. Which one carries more weight? Perilous is, is an aggressive word. It carries a little more weight than words that you use every single day. It's like the word that we used to use that was, was what we still do is, is awesome. And then we say something is awesome. As we begin to lower our standards for awesome, then we begin to devalue the word. So if we use it all the time and we say that this is awesome and that is awesome and that is awesome, then whenever we really see something that's spectacular, we have to use a different word. And so if we begin to devalue these words, then, then they don't mean quite as much. So whenever he uses the word perilous, we understand that, that it's not in the Bible a lot. It hasn't been devalued, and it, it carries a lot of weight. It has a big meaning behind it. 
So what constitutes, Paul saying, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Y'all ever sit and read the Bible and wonder if God didn't just write this yesterday? We're going to get to Psalm chapter number 12, one of my favorite Psalms. And as I sit and read that Psalm, God, God wrote this yesterday. Timothy chapter 3 is, is the same way. He says in verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Paul says a lot here. But he describes what we cannot deny as, as a very, very dangerous situation. So if I gave you an address, and I told you, I said, if you go down to this address, you're going to find covetous people, you're going to find boasters, you're going to find blasphemers, you're going to find truce breakers and fierce, incontent people, you're going to find traitors, and you're going to find high-minded lovers of pleasure. You're going to find... You're going to find people that were without natural affection. You know what that means? You're going to find people who who loves the wrong sex and don't know what gender that they are. You're going to find people who don't know what bathroom to use. You're going to find people that, that want to be everything but what God created them. You're going to find people who are traitors, people who will, will give up on anything, people who have no allegiance or respect for anything. You're going to find... You're going to find those who are fierce, those who are aggressive, those who are immoral. You're going to find those who love themselves more than they love anything else. They only care about themselves. You're going to find people who are covetous, people who want what everybody else has, people who are never content because they always desire something else. You're, you're going to find people who are proud, and they walk around with their nose stuck so high in the air they drown if it started raining good. And you're going to find all these types of people. Would not that be a place to avoid Every day that we live, we walk out into a world full of people that fall into every single one of these categories. But the problem is, we read this and we look and say, well, oh, the world is in a terrible place. I believe that perilous times exist not because all of these things are in the world but because all of these things are a lot closer to us than, than what we expect them to be. All of these things are a lot closer to us than what we would desire them to be if we would just open our eyes and, and look. I believe that days are perilous because these things have made it into our families. Days are perilous because these things have made it into our churches. Days are perilous because these things have made it into the hearts and minds of people and taken root, and it's, it's, like, trying to, it's like trying to pull up a careless or a pigweed. Y'all ever tried to pull up one of them? They don't come up. They break right below the dirt, and then they come back seven shoots instead of one. Whenever they take root, whenever these things get a hold of people, it's, 
It's, it's next to near impossible to shake them. And I believe that, that these have always existed. And you can go back to you can go back to the very first man and woman. They ate the fruit because it looked good. They were, they were covetous of it. They were truth breakers. They were lovers of their own selves. You go back to the first family and you find disobedient to parents. You find unthankful and unholy. You go back to Noah's family and you find a, a, a particular individual there that was without natural affection. You go back to the, the Old Testament and you find groups of people that having a form of godliness, they denied the power thereof. Having a form of, of godliness. You, you find two people who stood in the house of Pharaoh and whenever Moses threw his rod down and it turned into a snake, you find two more that threw their rod down and it turned into a snake too. They could do the same thing. They had a form of godliness. They, they, they were thinking that they were, they had power and they did. They had power. And throughout the Bible, you find all of these different things. But, but I believe that perilous days are, are here and coming because these things are closer to us than they have ever been before. We have let them in. Verse number six, for of this sort are they which creep in the houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust. And that, that silly there don't mean crazy, it means simple minded, unable to resist. Number seven, ever learning. Does that not sound like our society? Ever learning. The amount of information available to us today that they used to say back in the, the early 2010s, they said that the amount of information available to every uh, to, to normal people doubled every day. I don't know where we're at right now, but I know that most of us have the capabilities to, to look up just about anything you want to know in the palm of our hand. We have what used to, to contain a whole building. We have more than that in our hands today. Information is there. They require kids to, to learn more and to study more and to be involved in more school today than ever before. And I believe the kids are dumber today than ever before. Because we are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We are ever learning. There, there's always something new, but, but they... <clears throat> They remove the important stuff. They remove the teeth. And, and as an ag teacher, I, I'm kind of biased. They removed a lot of agriculture from classrooms. And they put in all this other stuff. But, but as a pastor, they've removed God from classrooms. And they've put everything else in it. And, and never learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Never learning what they ought to learn. Never knowing what they ought to know. Never focusing on what is important. When I was in high school, our, our ag teacher, before we would leave on trips and we would leave at four or five in the morning to be able to get there on time. And before we would leave, he would stop at the school gate. He'd put his truck in park and, and he'd sit there and have prayer and, and pray for safety on the road and, and pray that we could all get back. And that's, that's what we did. And it was all the time. <clears throat> they don't do that no more. 
We used to have someone lead us in prayer before, after both sporting events, baseball games, basketball games. Nowadays, these kids recite the Lord's Prayer and they don't know what it is. They don't know what it means. They, they don't know what they're saying. It's, it's just something, that, something that's done and, and some don't even do that anymore. Ever learning, but, but never doing anybody any good. They're encouraging kids and, and adults to be smarter and smarter and, and soaking in all of this information. And, and they're watering down the truth so very much that it's, it's hard to find. Ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now, as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses, the two, uh, the two opposers that withstood Moses, that threw their rod down and said, "Moses, you can do it, and we can too." So do these also resist the truth. This morning in the Sunday school lesson, a man, uh, the the writer, uh, I believe it's Brother Darren Webb. He said that, uh, let's see if I can remember how he put it. He said that truth is, is negotiable, something like that. And in reality is based on perspective. And the truth is what you believe it to be. That ain't right. Just because you want it to be true, don't make it true. Just because you want it to be so, don't don't make it so. Just because you're you're convicted that it's wrong, and, and you say, "Oh no, I want it to be true." Now, Cinderella, that that woman could bippity boppity boo, and she can make whatever she wants. But we can't do that. We we can't just erase the truth. We can't just do away with what God said. These men resist truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Verse number nine, and they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men as theirs also was whenever Moses' rod swallowed up the others. And it was made manifest that Moses was the man of God. That God was with Moses and everybody saw it and he said the same thing is is coming, it's going to happen. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch and Iosum and Listeria. Persecutions I endured, but out of all of them the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. We ought to star, highlight, underline, memorize, and rememorize that verse. Because perilous times are here. Perilous times are among us. And, and we sit back and say, well, everything is good. I think I told y'all that a man told me this last, last week, week before last. He said he, he quit coming to church and he had a responsibility in the church. And he came once a month to fulfill that responsibility. And that was it. He said, because whenever I started trying to get my life right, and whenever I started trying to live for God, then things started going wrong. But he said, whenever I laid out of church and whenever I stopped coming, then things started going right again. You know what that is? That's Satan winning. Because all that will live godly in Christ 
Jesus shall suffer persecution. All that live godly. Verse number 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Don't this sound like today? Where the truth is what you make it. Because left and right today, people are being deceived. And then they're going on and deceiving more. Do y'all know what a pyramid scheme is? Most people understand the way that it works. So you have one person <clears throat> at the bottom, like rainbow vacuum cleaner. And they, they try to recruit five people. And this one person recruits five people. So now you have six people involved. And then each of those five people are called to recruit five more people. Just five. No more. Just, just five. So each of those five people recruit five more people. That's 25 and five. That's 31 people in two levels. And then those... 25 people recruit five more people. And then those 125 people recruit five more people. And while your responsibility may be small, you're contributing to a, a vast pyramid. And eventually you're reaching a pile of people in every direction. Wish we could do that with Jesus instead of rainbow vacuums. But whenever somebody believes in something so thoroughly that they begin to share it in that way, it begins to reach people. Good or bad, it begins to reach people. So whenever people begin to find themselves but believe in things that are contrary to the Word of God, whenever people find themselves being okay with sin and being all right with living in sin and being okay with excluding themselves from God at every point and at every level. Whenever people begin to get comfortable living in sin and they're comfortable living in these perilous times, they're comfortable living in a world that waxes worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Evangelism works two ways. As a Christian, if you're holding your, your candle up, you're holding your light up, and you get close to other people, you're going to shine that light on them. People are going to know you're a Christian. They're going to understand that you're a Christian. And, and a lot of times you'll be able to help them just by being in proximity to them because you're, you're getting that light close to them. But, but the opposite is true as well. Whenever our families begin to see that church is a maybe... I told you before that I never had to ask my parents if we were going to church. But I never had to ask them if I had to go to school very often either. I never had to ask my mom and daddy if I had to go to school. You know why? Because school's expected. Y'all ever ask your parents, do I got to go to school? Do you get up and ask them that every morning? You ask them, do, do I have to go to school today? Do I absolutely? I know some of you probably do. Do I have to go to school today? Why do you go to school every day? Well, why do you get up and go? Because it's something that's required, something that's expected, something that you're supposed to do. And, and you can get up at, I know some people get up at 3, 4, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning and get up and make it to school. And you're there before the tardy bell rings and, and, and you're always on campus. And, and you may even get that perfect attendance. Yeah, maybe not. But you're at school. 
And yet whenever it comes to Sunday school, whenever it comes to Bible study, whenever it comes to, to practicing for, for choir practice and services at church, do I have to go? Do I have to? And I'm not talking to kids right now. I'm talking to us as adults. Do I have to go to church? Do I have to go to church? Y'all, we get to go to church. Do we understand the difference? We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We don't have to worship God. We get to worship God. It's a blessing and a privilege. And people are trying every day to deceive our kids, to deceive our adults, into thinking that that you don't need church. You don't need God. There's a song. I think the kingdom air sang it at one time. I don't remember who sang it. The song goes, have you prayed for a loved one struggling along with pain? You asked the Lord for healing, but their healing never came. In spite of all your efforts, the good Lord called them home. It's hard to keep going when you're trying to hold on. Now you're down in the valley. Oh, I forget. Anyway, the chorus of that song says, If you only knew. You ever prayed for somebody to get well and they, and they didn't get well? You take it out on God? Same way we take it out on McDonald's, right? Paul says that all men that live godly shall suffer persecution. Paul also says that all things work together to good. Paul also says that we will be given opportunities in our life to share Christ with others. To present our bodies a living sacrifice. As a mission. As a testament of what God has done for us. And if God allows us to go through a sickness, that is a testament of, of his goodness in our life that we're able to share with a group of people that we may never be able to share with again. And yet we look at it and say, oh God, you're allowing this to happen to me. I'm finished with you. Well, wash my hands and I'm, I'm done. I'll go try something else. There was a man, the preacher made it to his house one day visiting and, and he'd been coming to the church two, three, four times a year and, and the preacher went out there and said, hey, can I, can I come in and talk with you a minute? And he walked in his house and on the wall on, on one side of his house he had Buddha and he had the, the Mohammed and all of these Muslim gods. On the other side of his house he had the, the crucifixes and, and the, what, what the Catholics worshipped and the, the sacraments and things of that nature. And then laying on the coffee table in the middle of his house, he had a, a King James Bible and he had a Korah. And in the back of the house, he had a cross wrapped up in a purple robe. And he had different little cups of incense burning throughout his house. And in the foyer area, he had a sun god on the right and a moon god on the left. And the preacher walked in and he was just blown away. He couldn't figure it out. He said, I know you were raised in church. He said, I know your parents were members of the church. And he said, I know you come every now and then, but I, I just wanted to try to encourage you to come more often. Can you please explain to me your thought process and, and all of this stuff? It's overwhelming. And the man said, I'm covering all of my bases. 
He said, I'm taking care of all of it. He said, if the moon God's going to get me to heaven, then I'm good because I've prayed to the moon God. And if the Catholics are right and praying to Mary is going to get me to heaven, then I'm, I'm good. I've prayed to Mary. And, and if the Methodists are right that, 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 that this and that and the other, and if the, the, the Buddhists are right and this, and, and that I'm good. I'm covered all of my bases. He said, well, why do you come to church? He said, in case you're right. I feel like a lot of a lot of people treat God that way. It's just something to take care of. Do we treat church as a flu shot? All right, I got that took care of for right now. Let's move on. I, I, I've done I've done finished that. I've done done that. Do we read our Bible as just something to pass the time, or do we read it to study because times are waxing worse? And worse, people are deceiving and being deceived. In verse 14, Paul said, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and the things which thou hast been assured of. For those of you who are adults tonight, I'm extremely thankful that my parents taught me, that the church where I grew up taught me, that the pastors that I've had in my life have taught me, that the Bible that I've read in my life has taught me, that the spirit that dwells within believers has taught me. But who's teaching the kids? Who's teaching the kids? I heard a man say one day, he stood up in a revival just up the road from here. And he said, I, I walked in this church, and this was on a Friday night. He, he was done. He was leaving that night. And he stood up, and he said, I walked in Monday, and he said, I didn't see no young people. He said, me and my wife was the youngest people in the building. And, and he's an older man. He's significantly older than I am. He said, me and my wife were the youngest people in the building. He said, throughout the week, I've seen a couple of young faces, but I only saw them one time. And they never came back. And then he said, this evening on Friday, which is normally the, the, the largest crowd you get to eat after the service, normally you, you get a few extra people here. And he said, I look out over the congregation, and, and I'm still the youngest one here. And I had a talk with him after service because he had me beat by 20 years and I was there. He said, all of you were raised in church. Your parents brought you. Your parents taught you. Chances are you were there every service. I'm not the only one that my parents made me go to church three times a week. I say made me go to church because it was expected. As a kid, but before I got saved, and even after I got saved, and if I didn't want to go to church, it didn't matter. We went to church, period. And I was raised and I was taught, and, and my dad read the Bible to us at night. And we did our Sunday school lessons as, as a family oftentimes at night, on Saturday nights. And the preacher said, who is teaching the kids? Because he said, all of you grew up in church and you're all here. But he said, the kids, they're not growing up in church anymore. That church got so quiet. He stood there and he looked out at the congregation. And he just looked for, for what felt like five minutes, probably about 30 seconds. And he just looked. And he looked and he looked and he asked the question. And I didn't have any kids at the time, but he asked the question. He said, why are your kids not here? And then he sat there and looked again. He was reading from this particular verse of scripture. He said, how is, our, how is the next generation 
How are our kids supposed to continue in the things which thou hast learned whenever we don't teach them? Whenever the only thing that we show them is that, hey, we need to go to church every now and then. Hey, we need to sit in a pew. Because there's a big difference in teaching our kids to worship God and teaching our kids to sit in a pew. A big difference. If you don't believe that, you you go ask some people. Go talk to kids who who don't come to church anymore. He said that that night. And I was teaching at Varnado at the time. So I went to school the next day with a mission. I was going to ask people why they no longer went to church. So there was a pile of kids out there that didn't. So I got in my class that was 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade. They're all, you know, 14 years old, 15 years old. Several of them... 17, 18 years old. And I asked him, I said, raise your hand if you go to church every single service and one kid raised his hand. I said, you're dismissed. You, you're free to go. Go in the shop and, and work. I need to talk to everybody else. And I was beginning to, t- to talk to him and I would ask him questions. How many of you, did, did your parents make you go to service every service? And a few of them said my parents used to. But now I get to stay home by myself. And a few of them said, well, I I moved out. I don't live with my parents anymore. I said, well, why did you quit going to church? They said, because it it never was important to us. I said, why did you ever go? He said, we were were expected to. You ask them how many of their parents sang in church and none of them raised their hand. You ask them how many of their parents came to Sunday school. None of them raised their hand. A bunch of them dropped their kids off for 9 o'clock Sunday school. You ask them how many of their parents participated in extracurricular activities outside of church, and not many of them raised their hand. You ask them how many of your parents read the Bible to you, and none of them, none, zero of the kids in that class raised their hand. And we wonder what's wrong. We sit back and try to figure it out. And it's the same problem that, that, that Paul was preaching about hundreds of years ago. From a child thou hast known, verse 15, the Holy Scriptures. From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. But how are they to know it if we don't teach them, if we don't prioritize it, if we don't emphasize it, if we simply fill a pew, if we simply treat it as, as something that we can do or something that we might do or something that we ought to do. We go to work every day and we say, hey, this is important. I have to be on time. We send our kids to school all the time and we say, hey, they have to be on time. This is important. And then we, eh, it's just, it's just church. It's just church. It's not just church. From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, verse 15, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, which is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. And we are living in perilous times. We are living in dangerous times. We are living in scary times. And we are not preparing ourselves. We are not preparing our, our kids. We are not preparing our family members. It's a trickle down. The whole thing is a trickle down. Daddies, it begins with you. 
Mamas, it begins with you. It trickles down. That we may be thoroughly furnished. That we can train up the kids. That that we can train up the next generation. Because we live in dangerous times. Where there is so much out there that, that the world wants to get their teeth in these kids. Because they know if they do, the chances that, that we'll ever get them back are very, very slim. And we got to arm them. we got to protect them. And the best way to do that is through God's Word. It is profitable for doctrine. It is profitable for correction, for reproof. It is profitable for encouragement. It is profitable for guidance. It is profitable for all manner of godly living right here in between these two leather-bound pages. It's God's words that is profitable to make a man wise unto salvation and post-salvation as we live in a world that is wanting to do everything but what God wants to say. And I pray that we could value that in a greater way. That we could live that out in a greater way and ultimately that we could raise our kids we could raise our kids in the gospel. Oh, we have a verse for song. We're going to ask for a verse of invitation. If someone has something on their heart, we invite you to come at this time.